The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. What's up, what's up? Shout out to all you in the posse. I'm Jared, and I spread the awesome about healthcare transformation. This is the place for you if you want to accelerate that transformation and if you want to be marketing forward. So here's what's going to go down today. We'll kick things off with the flavor of the week about the pursuit of perfection. Then Peter and I will discuss the state of digital health and how it affects marketers. Then check out the freestyle wrap of the month about content marketing. Flavor of the week. There is peril in the pursuit of perfection. Do you refuse to step into the batter's box because you think you have to hit a home run in your first at bat? How is that mindset hurting your brand and the content that is making your brand relevant? Gary Vee answered a question on his podcast recently about how to scale content production like him. He claims to be producing more content than anyone on the planet right now, and I think he might be right. He's everywhere, especially on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and YouTube and, well, you get the picture. I think his answer surprised the one who asked on the podcast. He said the lack of the pursuit of perfection is what allows him to post immediately and scale infinitely. In his words, he said 98 pieces of content at an 8 are better than one piece of content at a 10. We can do the math. That score would be 784 to 10. I have a related theory about why some brands still can't seem to figure out how to create relevant content at scale. I think it's because they're still thinking about content like they used to about TV spots back in the day, where winning meant Hollywood production and ultimately shelling out millions of dollars for the honor to share your work with the world at the Super Bowl. But newsflash, this isn't the Super Bowl, the Oscars, or the Emmys, or the Golden Globes. This is science class at business school for your brand. Winning here means you need to switch from a factory mindset to a laboratory mindset. The focus is on iteration, not perfection. It's the scientific method. You start with the hypothesis and you test variables. Winning has little to do with getting it perfect the first time. It has everything to do with starting somewhere, then testing along the way, iterating, doing it again with new information that you've learned from the previous go-around. Brands can take this too far, though, if they quit prematurely. Not every experiment results in the perfect formula for the next time. But ideally, each one shows improvement. So you do need to show that improvement, but don't be afraid to be wrong or to fail. I hate to break it to you, but your first video probably won't go viral. Your first blog post probably won't set the world on fire. And your first podcast episode probably isn't something you'll even want to listen to again a year from now. But set expectations appropriately with everyone involved. 
explain that you need a longer leash because while you're giving it your best guess, the fact is it's still a guess. The formula for creating engaging content changes almost as often as search algorithms. One caveat, don't take this as an excuse to produce something that's altogether boring, copycat, or fluff, or that you don't need to consider production quality at all. Back to Gary Vee's math, he didn't say you could produce 98 things at a 3 or a 2. He said 98 things at an 8. You're still going to have to do a decent production job, and you're still going to have to spend time, a lot of it in fact, a lot of time and a lot of promotion to gain traction and to find your minimum viable audience. Winning with scaling content doesn't take Hollywood production. You know what it actually takes? Brand, personality, persistence. You'll know how to do it even better tomorrow when you get that first piece of content out into the world today. And that's the Flava of the Week. All right, so it's time to spread the awesome again with my co-host. I'm here with the man who does not need to bang a trash can for him to win, Mr. Peter Balistrieri. How are you doing, Jared? How are you doing? How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I knew you'd start with something like that. I just knew it. You're poor Astros. But you know what? Tomorrow's a new day. We'll see what happens. They've got a new manager now. They're turning over a new leaf. Yep. I, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Hey, I'm sta- you know what? I'm standing by him. Uh, we won't get into a whole uh, baseball ethical debate here because uh, there's been enough uh, hate thrown out there on Twitter. I uh, basically uh, stopped checking my sports news here for a, for a week or two at least just to just to cool off, just so I'm not, uh, not in the thick of it anymore. But yeah, I, I think we can safely say, yeah, I don't even know what we can safely say about, about the Astros anymore. So, And I was nice. I did not tease you. I didn't come at you on that. So just so you know. I appreciate that. That's the kind of gentleman you are. <laughs> All right. What do we got today? You know, today I think we're going to just dive right into our rap battle because we're going to do kind of like a digital health reality check. How does that sound? Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. Rap battle. You know what? We've been doing rap battles for goodness coming up on a couple of years here and it kind of blows my mind but for those of you who are tuning in for the first time rap battle is where we challenge the status quo in healthcare and we just say you know what time to do things differently we can either be disrupted into submission or we can figure out how to do things differently ourselves so today we have a, a couple of different articles and they're all semi-related but they all came out within a couple of weeks of each other uh, but they all have to do with kind of where digital health is these days and first and foremost what that definition is kind of what we include in that and i think where you and i can can kind of discuss this is what it has to do with marketing and communications and and digital and tech and a lot of times digital health is talked about in circles of uh, investment dollars it's talked about in terms of of the business side and now we want to talk about kind of the the direct to patient side i feel like the, the the communication side the consumer side because there's a lot to it on that side when digital health solutions have been implemented over the last let's say the last 10 years or so starting with with really the emergence of electronic health records electronic medical records and the whole ecosystems around them digital health itself the the definition of it has really evolved along with the solutions themselves. So with that, the first article that we have is is about the so-called smart pill. I believe it was the first one that was FDA approved. Uh, it was by a company called Proteus. Some of you may have followed this story because it's, it's a few years since it was approved. 
uh, this company, Proteus. The article is called A Forerunner in Smart Pills Adopts a New Tack as Key Pharma Partnership Unravels. And <laughs> it did talk about the, the business relationship they had with a Japanese distributor, Otsuka. And that's what made news a few years ago. So the smart pill, you, you ingest it and it transmits data from inside your body, uh, which helps with certain medical functions. And the promise has been huge. And it didn't, the, the interesting thing is the article didn't say it didn't work. But here, here's what they described as kind of the central problem. And, and I'd love to think what you think about, I'd love to hear what you think about this, Peter. The central problem they said was that when this pill was deployed at hospitals, the technology just didn't fit neatly in, into the clinical workflow of the physicians and the patients, like either one. So the uptake was too slow. So they didn't bring in enough revenue and they didn't make investors happy and they were just burning through cash. So what does that mean for us? Well, it kind of went on and talked about how some patients don't really like having to wear a patch. So that was the point about this. So you ingest the pill, but then you had to wear a patch that kind of helped track things. That was, that was central to the whole tracking system. The physicians didn't know what to do with all these reams of data that it was producing. It was things like anywhere from sleep patterns to physical activity levels. It would capture those things because the core goal was logging when a patient took their pills. But then it gave you all this other data. But the doctors didn't know what to do with that data. And then when the health system executives would buy in, they'd buy into the pitch. But then the doctors on the front lines, the ones who would be supposedly deploying the pill, they didn't have enough incentive to prescribe it. And so it just created more work for them and they didn't get paid any extra. And so, you know, guess what? It just didn't get used much. I see how the central problem is really just not fitting into this neat workflow. Uh, but what's your take on it, Peter? Well, I think you summarized it right there. As, I mean, and I'll, and I'll try to even summarize it more. You got three parties and none of them are happy. So I don't know how this actually could ever be successful. You got patients that didn't want to patch okay, so they had a pill, but then they still got to wear the patch. So that still makes the, the patient upset. Then you got, you know, the physicians, they don't know what to do with all the data. And then you got the, the brass, the executives wanting to do that. And uh, it's not cost effective. So no one is happy. And, and therefore you have something that is, it just kind of goes by the wayside. And, and I guess that's the bummer about this whole thing is that, you know, and we talked about this offline too, is the question is comes down to is technology outpacing, outservicing, not servicing the situation we have right now in healthcare in the United States? And I think this is a great example on the negative, but you know, there are things that are happening in the positive as well. Again, we talked about this offline. We talked about a company like uh, Levanova, who does epilepsy care. Uh, they do a lot of with uh, the vagal nerve stimulator, VNS. Their model, their newest model has a wand and you're able to pass that wand over that little pacemaker that you get surgically inserted near the, near the clavicle. And they can pick up all kinds of information if, you're, if the patient is seizing, prone, sleeping, walking, standing. And those then create algorithms so that they can kind of adjust the, the pacemaker itself, but they can also see over time, should the medications be changed, things like that. That's one of those, those good situations where it was likely developed with, with physicians, you know, in partnership with the physicians. So I guess, you know, the pill story was an interesting one from the standpoint that it just didn't match up. It just didn't check any box for any party. And I feel like that was a, that's a problem. It really is. I think the, 
first and foremost, digital health itself, it's it's complex. It's not as simple as the promise of a lot of the, the tech that that first emerged on the scene over the last decade. Mm-hmm. And, and this was, like we said, this was the first FDA approved smart pill. There were, you know, there's smart shoes, there's smart diapers, there's like smart everything. There is, there's smart everything. Yeah. And so there's somewhere in between. There's a right place, there's a sweet spot somewhere in there for using some of this tech that does fit within a clinician's workflow that does make sense for a patient that they are going to adhere to its guide to its usage guidelines but it, it's just not there for each one of these and so the ones that aren't working those are the ones that are going to make headlines but you know we, we don't want to swing that pendulum so far that that we're like yeah see all of this was a waste of of investment dollars and and digital health doesn't hold this promise at the end of the day we are still so much better off like that's the part I think we don't want to lose, you know, in in the midst of all of this, as we're trying to figure out kind of like where where does the market settle in the middle of this to ultimately help a patient and and help those who are supporting the patient. I mean, this has ramifications for for marketing and communications teams as well. It's as simple as a doctor who doesn't want to take the time because it doesn't fit within their workflow to go get their picture taken for their profile, you know, or fill out their bio and fill out all the data that gets pulled up anytime someone's searching for something related to them. You think about all the content that is created, that is specific, that is effective, that is combating the fake health news out there, something that actually is accurate, that is responsive to the questions that patients are asking and Googling. There is a lot more good content out there for healthcare, I guess is where I'm going with it. But that takes still at the end of the day, the same challenges that have to be overcome. A doctor has to see how this fits within their workflow of time each day. How am I going to write a blog post? How am I going to be a podcast guest? How am I going to write this this bio or whatever that you marketers then go do things with? You know. Yeah. So to me, that's related and it's the same problem. Because, I mean, it's addressing a different thing. You're talking about clinical digital health versus really consumer-based digital marketing. And yet it still always has to come back to fitting within that workflow. So many vendors, so little time Expecting me to know them all is practically a crime But it's what my job's about yeah. It makes me want to shout yeah. I need some help deciding who to use without a doubt Something everyone wants Like a secret decoder Something everyone needs Like your own baby Yoda Help me to choose I can't afford to lose Isn't there a website that I really ought to use? Martech.health Martech.health Do yourself a favor, check it out for yourself Need to find a vendor? This is the way Martech.health Who you gonna pick today? Martech.health is the vendor directory built specifically for healthcare marketing, communications, and digital professionals. People like you. Founded and run by the OG himself, Healthcare Internet Hall of Famer Ed Bennett. It's designed to make your next vendor selection process less painful. And here's why. Over 600 vendors across 40 industry categories. Verified vendor reviews and ratings from your peers. A resource library of articles, videos, and events. Plus, an anonymous messaging tool to get your vendor questions answered without worrying about endless callbacks. All of this is free to use and share. Check it out at martech.health. Well, one other thing that I wanted to add, too, is is I'm pretty fortunate, in at least the position that I hold right now, is that I've gotten to see some pretty interesting advancements and actually learned kind of how they, they came to be. 
And, you know, even just a recent one too, you know, in my, my employer now, you know, they've been able to work with a pretty large company, Medtronic, and uh, they've developed a, a, a robot or a guidance system. They call it a robot, but it's a robotic guidance system. And it was interesting because on the outset, the surgeon was skeptical about it, you know, even though he had been working with Medtronic and in, in partnership between the hospital himself and Medtronic, I was actually in the OR for the first of the surgeries and was able to interview the doctor afterwards, the surgeon afterwards. And he actually, it was almost like he said it right then and there. He said, I didn't think that this guidance system would help me place the probes, would help me place the things that I needed to do in the brain at a, a faster clip and a tighter, you know, sub-millimeter targeting, it actually did. And so he literally said that on video. And it was pretty amazing because then Medtronic was uh, so excited to get that video because then they showed it to their engineers who had been working on this for four and a half plus years of their time and effort. And it just kind of validated it for him. And then he talked about how that actually is great for the patient, especially a pediatric patient, because it's less risk of infection, less time under anesthesia, uh, less uh, collateral damage in the brain when they're placing the probes, you know, because the brain's obviously very delicate. So I'm sitting here and I'm learning about these things firsthand, seeing it happen firsthand. And, you know, so then you, you match that up with a pill story like that we're, we're talking about and a couple other stories that's going to be coming up. And you start to see kind of what the good part of, of healthcare, healthcare technology is and the failures. And there's a, a big, vast area even in between there where it's kind of, you can't say it's a failure or it's a success. It might be kind of somewhere in between. And I think that's might be kind of the next couple articles that we're going to talk about. But I really wanted to share that because seeing it firsthand like that, it's pretty incredible to actually see it play out, play itself out like that. Yeah, I hear you. And I'm glad you bring up the promise of the tech itself because that's what I don't want to get lost in the discussion. And, and I'm glad, like, what a great example of just thinking about what that means for that patient at the end of the day. The, right, exactly. the, the, the innovation that is at the end of the day improving a patient's life. So so yeah. there we go. So we've got two more articles. I can cover this next one since it was kind of related to the first one. And then if, if you want, you want to take the, the last one after that? Sure. sure. Perfect. Okay, so this, the second one was the CNBC wrap-up of the JP Morgan Health Conference, which was held earlier in January. And the title is A Confusion and Hype Over Digital Health Overshadows JP Morgan Health Conference. And it brought up a couple of interesting points, right? So this was the JP Morgan Conference. It's the annual uh, conference where uh, you have thousands of health executives, you have startups pitching for investment capital, you have, it's all tech and business and, and investor focused. But in the mix there, you're ended up talking about uh, what that means as it trickles down for patients and clinicians, etc. And so this is a Chrissy Farr, it, it was her uh, right up here. And the part that stuck out to me was Really, the I mean, she had digital health in, in quotes. She said, many said that confusion over the definition of digital health could hold back the sector. And I think that's related to the piece we kind of just, we just talked about, where if we're still not even sure what that means, uh, she just said in the article, she said, digital health is broadly considered the intersection of health and technology, but the term is so overused and overhyped, it's no longer clear what it means. Uh, she goes on to say how players in the space exhibit big differences in quality and approach. And even just on this podcast, like so far, we've, we've been talking about so many different angles and really what are we talking about with yeah. tech and innovation. So to me, the big theme here, curious what you think about this, but 
my takeaway is the fact where she says the term is so overhyped. I think marketers, and anytime somebody says something's overhyped, I think, okay, uh, who else are you going to bring that back to except the marketing team? There's so much being overhyped about new tech. It's really hard for a clinician who is interested and wants to know, like, what are the actual outcomes? Like, what's the actual data? I'm interested. I want to try this new tech. And they have to dig through so much hype that it comes back and they end up saying, well, you know, I don't even know what's digital health anymore. I don't even know what what we consider in that definition. It's holding back progress at the end of the day. And to me, there's an opportunity there for marketing and communications teams to take the reins, to look in the mirror and say, like, are we contributing to this? Are we actually making things harder for us and everyone in the sector because we're part of this overhyping nonsense? Yeah. I do a lot with sticking around in the, you know, in the health IT marketing space too. I attend HITMIC, the health, health and IT marketing conference, right? So I, in the industry, I'm talking with people, I'm learning what, you know, ruling their world. And, and it's, it's fascinating just to see that that's still at the end of the day. I mean, even at like the big conference each year, they're still talking about, wait, what are we even including in the definition of our industry? And uh, <laughs> what can we do to clear that up? To me, it's the same thing as, as hospitals and health systems are struggling to help combat overhyped their own brands, consumers just don't buy it anymore. And so now what we're seeing is consumers, clinicians, investors, business business administration, senior leadership at hospitals and health systems aren't buying it either. So anyway, I, I think the two just kind of go together. And I, I think we, we kind of put a bow on that one. And I like, it. I like it. Cool, cool. I need a dime, ain't faking a bump. So you crank out content, but it's getting stale. It might be nutritious, but it tastes like kale. You're down with finding a way to up your marketing game. Yeah, but when you look for help, everyone seems lame. We're Ultera Digital. Google us and see. We're spelled like ultra with an extra E. We'll help you market forward. Google us and look. We're Ultera Digital. It's off the hook. Hey guys, this is Jared. Ultera Digital is just another name for our consulting team that helps you when your content, your strategy, or your brand is getting stale. You know, like that chocolate glazed donut that was a little piece of heaven in the morning, but when you left it on your desk until 4.13 in the afternoon and you went to finish it off, by then, mm, not so heavenly, was it? By now, you know our philosophy that content is the future, but only when it engages audiences and it isn't a snooze fest. And you've heard how we roll. The healthcare rap, what you're listening to right now is Exhibit A. We don't do boring. So if your content, your special event, or your strategy is getting stale, let us help you give it that spark, that rhythm, that new life you're looking for. Ultera Digital, marketing forward. Okay, now back to the podcast, right? Because it's pretty legit. All right, so you want to take this last one? This was an interesting one. It was uh, an article called uh, Healthcare CEOs Expected More Progress in Value-Based Care from a Survey. And this is from uh, Paige Meinmeyer. And this was... Uh, an interesting conversation or an interesting article that I, you know, I went through this and it kind of really kind of hit me square between the eyes at the very end when they said that, you know, they, one of the CEOs they surveyed said nobody could foresee what Netflix did and that that whole issue with the black swan event, nobody could see that coming. But yet they acknowledge that there are lessons to take away from that, you know, from that 
those disruptors and those innovations uh, like Uber and, and Netflix, as they said. And uh, the one health plan CEO said, we're going to steal from companies we admire and bring them into healthcare. Why can't we be like the large wholesale retailers? And, and why can't we be like the TV and movie streaming companies? I don't know if there was some, if he was being facetious or just very optimistic. I'm not sure that healthcare can do that at this point. Kind of back to what you're saying. I mean, people are being more savvy now. They're in value-based care is a, is a really interesting situation where I think value-based care feels more like on the business side that to happen rather than the hospital side. You know, on value-based care, right, it's more about us trying to be more proactive about our healthcare, well, the well-being checks, the, you know, watch your weight uh, kind of thing around the holidays, you know, and, and, and more and more companies are doing that, the going to, you know, no smoking and, you know, get you getting breaks on your benefits if you're not, you're not a smoker, things like that, where I, I think that benefits a business that's, you know, trying to keep their benefits down per employee. I was having a hard time understanding, you know, all the nuances around it being for a healthcare system. I see it happening in certain situations, maybe because I work for a children's hospital. One of the things I can see it helping is around, you know, the things that are intrinsically a problem in children today, obesity, increased headaches, probably from, and they are literally saying this, the use of smartphones and video games and that kind of technology. They're, the diets of kids, they're drinking more and more soda, less and less water, not getting as much sleep, the screen time, all those things. Those are things that I think where you have to start thinking about value-based care in a way that it matches up. If you're a hospital, that it matches up to your demographic, to your clientele, to your patient type. And um, I'm interested to kind of hear what you have to say on this, but I think... For me, it just seems like they thought it was going to be further along. And I'm, I'm just not so sure that we're in that world yet. No one wants to be preached to. Everybody's got their own way of doing things. You're already feeling a big brothered by a company that you might work for. You know, hey, this, my company's telling me I can't smoke. My company's telling me I have to, my BMI has got to be this. <laughs> I mean, to get, to get my health insurance. I'm not sure that uh, it can be that far along. I mean, like as a nation, we just don't want to be told what to do, especially around our health. I got to say this. I've worked in both healthcare and the financial industries, and people are more guarded and more adamant about their financials and financial planning than their healthcare. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it was kind of a crazy thing to, to be in both industries. And... Um, like I said, the, the amount of um, consents and HIPAA and all that kind of stuff, you think it would be more in healthcare, but boy, oh boy, I'll tell you, people do, people get really funny about letting people know about their money and, and kind of their life insurance and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's kind of where we are in, as a, in the United States right now. What are your thoughts on that article? Well, so I think first and foremost, you must be glutton for punishment if, you know, to be in the healthcare and financial industries this long, you know, <laughs> you could have just gone and done something simple like, you know, retail or something, right? right? I know, I know, you're right. <laughs> so, uh, that aside, <laughs> two thoughts. One was, was uh, one piece of the article where, where they said a growing focus on consumer facing tools sets up organizations for success, regardless of how the shift to value-based payments continues. Uh, that's what the research found. So it said, should value-based payments continue full throttle, these consumer-facing tools will pay off. And if the transition stays slow, these organizations will have a leg up thanks to consumer loyalty. And I think like that last part, it's like, that's a value proposition to senior leadership of, okay, wait, why should we spend time on consumer-facing tools? Well, we'll have a leg up 
even if it takes a long time for the value-based piece to come into play. Because I think you're right. I think it's going to take a lot longer than anyone was first anticipating. The other point to me was kind of the... It's really a question because I don't have the answer to this. But it's this harkens back to what I think of... Uh, like whose responsibility really is value-based care? Like the Affordable Care Act has been around, it's coming up in 10 years, like in a couple months from now. It'll be 10 years that it's that's been on the crazy. books. And that's really what, in my mind, it, it, the ideas may have been there, the seeds may have been there for it before, but like that was the incentive, hundreds of billions of dollars, uh, you know, aside of incentives. So whose responsibility is it now? It's either got to be mandated or it's got to be disrupted into us, in my opinion. So like, I don't even know who, who that sits with to say, Okay, well, who's going to drive this within our organization? I don't know if it's health system by health system, but as far as who decides that, but that's why I've, I've never been clear on that from the beginning. Like, whose responsibility is it ultimately? Because it seems like that's who would be able to answer these questions more and would be able to determine what priority it faces when we're talking about like where, where all the budget goes. But you know what, what confuses me though, with it being we're, we're centering this, this article around health systems. And I guess my question is, and again, being in healthcare this long, you, you, you just, you get dangerous based on what you know. And maybe I'm going down the wrong path, but when we talk about value-based care and, and like I said, the well-being things and, and kind of the being proactive about healthcare, that doesn't match up with a lot of health systems business plans because some health systems, some hospitals, uh, depending on even whether they're pediatric or adult, I mean, they make their business around high acuity complex cases. And that is not a model that fits with, with value-based care. So I'm seeing a total dichotomy between what a health system or a hospital, how they would approach this, because it just doesn't seem to fit into their, their money-making you know, model, if you will. I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Am I, am I way off base there? Or, or is that something that is just not being talked about? I, I don't understand that. No, I think you hit it spot on. I think if it made sense and if it if it was projected to be a benefit financially, then everyone would be doing it. Right. This is something that's quote unquote, you know, right for the patient. So that at the end of the day doesn't mean they're incentivized, that any health system is naturally incentivized without A doing the research to figure out exactly how to dissect their complex business strategy to begin with. And second off, what does that mean for each party involved? It is very complex, but maybe that's why it's not a clear answer to whose responsibility it is, is because ultimately it's not clear. One to watch in this, one, one health system to watch in this arena is Mayo. Mayo, and they're always amazing at what they do anyways, but this one is an interesting one for them. And especially here in Arizona, I'm not sure if you saw this, they're doubling the size of their their campus here in Arizona, literally doubling their size. They have more than 700,000 patient visits a year. They're doubling down and doubling the size of their campus. And they really want to move the, the, the CEO there, Dr. Richard Gray, wants to move to his big kind of, they're calling Arizona bold forward. And their big thing is about using technology. But here's the thing. If you know anything about Mayo Clinic, their primary core value and they literally call it their primary core value is about the patient comes first. So them wanting to move more towards innovation, pioneering, advancements, it still can't be at the cost of the patient of, of their primary core value. And right here in the state that we're in, you have the, the campus itself trying to move forward, trying to be the smart hospital of the future. And yet they still have this kind of this primary core value. And then when we talk about the uh, high acute, that's, They've made their bones in high acuity, 
highly complex cases. They, they're not just your you know, normal broken arm kind of thing. They, they are treating crazy, amazing disease types and things that are, haven't even been heard of or thought of yet. I mean, I expect them to have a cure for the coronavirus pretty soon here. But honestly, they are going to be the ones that find that balance and I expect them to kind of lead the way on that. So just wanted to throw that out there because I think, you know, it's right here within our own backyard that we're going to see this kind of play out over the next five to 10 years. And now a word from Master J. So you took your sales materials and you put them on the web. But if you think that's content marketing, you're crazy in the head. By the simple definition, what you did is good and fine, but it doesn't help your audience. And that's the bottom line. Don't trick yourself to thinking people wake up in their bed thinking about you and your product. Now they're worried about life instead. So let's go back to school real quick about content strategy. Most of y'all could use a quick review. Now listen up to me. Your target customers are on a journey every day. That journey takes a while before they reach their destination. Okay. The key to strategy is that you see reality that every step needs different content for each customer. Agree? To win, you gotta use a map like Dora the Explorer. If you don't, your audience probably won't engage. Oh, the horror! You gotta match the what with the who and where and how, which means it ain't the time to talk about your benefits and features now. Find the problem that your content's gonna fix. Don't fix everything, just one, and don't resort to any tricks. You're not filling up a pipeline. You're not beating a drum. You're giving value with no expectation sales are gonna come. Building trust is a must. If you aren't, then you're a bust. Give them reasons they can trust you, else you're blowing in the dust. Don't put the cart before the horse. Get your headband in a wad. Picking format over substance or your strategy's a fraud. You can be the OG with the results that never fizzle. You can win the day with content. If you do it right, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Jay out. Great to chat with you as always, Peter. You know what? We got to go to a spring training game. I think we're going to have to. I think we're going to have to. And, and uh, I'll buy you the first, uh, the first beverage and then you buy me the first hot dog and I think we'll be in good shape. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. We, maybe we'll, like, we could do a remote uh, broadcast or something. You never know. I think honestly that would if you could make it pretty cool, it would be pretty awesome. Uh, Heck, we might even get one of the players on. I mean, I was uh, I was hanging out with uh, Mr. Josh Hader one day, and uh, and now I saw that Jeremy Jeffress is on the Cubs. So, oh my gosh, we we've got some. I think we could do a couple cool episodes from in the sun at spring training. All right, stay tuned, people. The healthcare wraps live from the Cactus League. That'd be cool. Well, thanks as always, Peter. Thanks for joining me and uh, the best to you as always. You as well. Thanks listeners for tuning in. Don't forget, don't forget to join the posse. Listen, subscribe, leave a review and tell your friends. If you enjoy this, go tell your friends, let them know. Hey, I I checked out this podcast. They do some goofy rapping at the beginning and then, you know, they have a really interesting discussion, right? Healthcare rap is an Altera Digital production and a member of the Shift.Health Network. So on behalf of Peter and myself, as always, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap. Thanks.